This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. A big, smiling, good day to you wherever you are across our country. Heck, around the world listening in, maybe on AMI-audio. We appreciate it using TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes. Glad to have you on board to Kelly and Rumya. Rumya hanging out at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald Hello. hanging out here in London, Ontario. So what's the worst computer problem you've ever had as we were discussing computer weirdness? Oh, I can't we say my current folks. one, which is that voiceover is has one? caught. I don't think so. I think there's been nah. a lot worse um, what has happened to me? I mean, I've had an actual experience where I got on the stand to do my valedictorian speech and then my computer just glitched out. Did I ever tell you about that? I think College so. That does seem familiar. valedictorian yeah. speech. I got up at the podium. They handed me my computer. And we had practiced this stuff, right? We go through rehearsals. And they're long-ass speeches, man. Oh, my God. You're telling me. Um, anyways, I had to do the whole thing freehand because my computer completely glitched out. And it wouldn't even let me log in. Um, so anyways, that was fun. What'd you do? I just... Just I, make it up? I free float it, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I had practiced, exactly. I was so nervous, I practiced so much that I pretty much said the speech. Later on, when I revisited, I was like, yeah, I've hit that, I hit that. Okay, all the points were made. Just well, it's how funny well. how much of it you memorize, <laughs> but you want the reassurance, so you're reading it. Of course. But yet you have memorized it already through practice. But, you know, when you're doing a valedictorian speech, and I guess any kind of speech like this, commencement speeches where people get up to speak, these uh, speeches go through an approval process, right? Like you write it down, right. you got to draft it. Uh, several people have to approve the messaging and tone and everything else. And so I think it was a bit of a wager putting me up there without a speech. <laughs> well, especially if anyone said later, and by the way, we graded you on that. That was terrible. You missed this point. You missed that point. And and it's the anxiety alone. Like, that's the whole thing. It's so nice to have that relief of having it in front of you, oh even if gosh, you're going yeah. a bit off. I remember it took me forever. I had a presentation to do for AMI for the CRTC. And I remember the night before in the hotel practicing stuff and just finally saying, I'm going to read this off the screen because it dawned on me. The sighted people in my team were reading it off their papers. Yeah. Why shouldn't I just do that? Exactly. Uh, we set the bar so liberating. high. Boy. Speaking of bars high, folks, uh, we always set it high for our show because we have so much great content. Let's see what we've got for you today. Corinne Van Dusen tells us about four new Beatles biopics that uh, that are an introduction. Plus, uh, oh, sorry, that's what we off with, plus more Hollywood news that she's got for us today. Also, community reporter Vic Pereira is tuning up his tandem bike for the upcoming Accessible Sports Expo. This is in a part of Manitoba, and he's looking forward to getting ready for it, so we'll talk more about that. And the Oakville Festival of Film and Arts is celebrating the accomplishments of Canadian women with their fourth annual Women's Day event. This is always great. We'll get into conversations with the o, uh, OFFA Executive Director Wendy, Wendy Donnan later on as she shares highlights with us in Hour 2 of the program.
Community support for Northern California Bakery after a last-minute cancellation order by <clears throat> our friends over at Tesla has actually turned into a surge of orders. And now Elon Musk is involved saying he is going to make things right. When word got out that San Jose Bakery, the Giving Pies, was left on the hook for thousands of dollars after Tesla placed a huge order for a company event, 4,000 mini pies, and then canceled the order after the ingredients had already been bought, the community rallied. The small bakery's story went viral on social media. Owner Vodney Rossiteranera. I don't think I have any words to say how grateful I am. Tesla is now paying the bill and even hiring her to cater future events. Alex Stone, EBC News. Oh, just cancel them. What? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Which turns into more business, more pies, more food orders. That's kind of a nice, you know, shun that turns into Monday. Yes, absolutely. And I guess this is just the power of um, everybody being able to keep tabs, right? Something really, really potentially tiny or local becoming a gigantic story. I think Musk went on uh, X and said ne negative, nasty things after that when he started to realize, I'll make it right, because these people are whining uh. and complaining, you know, his, uh, his other personality out there on X where he gets out there and makes all the ridiculous decisions and comments. He's really just doing the most with that kind of thing, like the attention he's gotten, I guess the reputation as well, and years, years, years of uh, people and the world turning to him for a lot of different things, his innovations, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because in one moment, people love your innovations, will love the things that you suggest. Some may say, it's a little freaky and out there. And then in another moment, you're on X saying this, that, and canceling, well, not himself, somebody at Tesla who got the idea. Well, we'll cancel and do another order. That's no inconvenience to the bakery. Um, I just think it's so funny. I think it's great that people stepped up and, of course, making it get to Elon's attention and him saying, We've got to make it right. Well, we better order some other stuff so we don't look so bad. Oh, Just much keep shoving, to Elon's shoving that food in your mouth and shut your pie hole. Uh, that money? works, right, in this case? Pie money? Ingredients? <laughs> shut your pie hole. Just order pies. Folks, we'll step aside for a couple of moments here on the program. News for you, folks. Push Season 2 debuts Monday, March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. And it's also available on AMI Plus, of course. We're going to tee up the, the show with one of the stars in a moment. Brian McPherson joins us. Please stick around. That conversation just two minutes away. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. We've got to give a big thanks to Brock Richardson, Ramya Muth, and Kelly McDonald, host of the show. He stepped in, Rum, on Monday and Tuesday. Our dear friend Grant was feeling under the weather, and we want him Brocky. to rest up because we've got all sorts of work for Grant this week. A big thank you to Brock. Uh, we both had a chance to work with him, and always a lot of fun, and uh, it's been kind of navigating. I went to my dentist office today, and they were speaking Sorry. over their little bit of work. Yeah, I felt the same way. I told them that, too, and they... <laughs> Still treated me nicely. Um, but while they were working on me, there was the, you know, internal talk of shortages. 
And all I just kept doing is nodding my head while they had their hand in my mouth. And I was just, uh huh, mm -hmm, uh huh. Oh, sorry, we're talking about the shop, Kel, while we're right over you, leaning over and, uh, uh -huh. oh, you guys have the same issues too. Uh huh. Yeah, so it, it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It really was. It made it uh, fly by as they were injecting me with more and more of the numbing stuff. Uh huh. Oh. Folks, AMI's. <laughs> yeah, like it took that moment. They always find an interesting thing to talk about is they're running that needle in. It's and smart. You know, when you're going, oh, very smart. Yeah, yeah, you know, we have two uh, colds and all sorts of stuff, Kelly. <laughs> and all you're thinking is, don't be leaning over me with your cold. Wow. Folks, uh, AMI's groundbreaking docuseries, Push, pulls back the veil on life as a wheelchair user following the wheelie peeps. An unlikely group of friends bonded by their shared experience of life on wheels. Season two debuts Monday, March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV, as well it'll appear on AMI+. Joining us with a preview of the new season is co-star Brian McPherson. Brian, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us and making time today. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we're excited. Lots of great stuff. We, we hear how much... You guys are a lot of a lot of fun. Bean will be with us on the show tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Tell us a little bit, though, to start with, Brian, about yourself. Now, the word I heard is you're a self-proclaimed, lovable redneck. Explain. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in Alberta my whole life. Um, you know, I've been a typical tradesman, you know, in construction, auto body, whatever. I have a mouth of a trucker. Um, you know, I'm not a few, uh step in front of anybody to be honest with you so yeah just kind of a typical redneck farm boy enjoying my life okay all right now, we'll keep him on the break run we can see how much of a trucker mouth yeah right? i was gonna say not on this show but yeah. during the breaks maybe. yeah no 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 yeah yeah we'll wait <laughs> <laughs> brian how did you meet bean uh yeah that's many many moons ago um i used to work for a company called uh canadian paraplegic association at the time uh, spinal cord injury, Alberta now, but uh, I was their peer program coordinator. So I threw on a barbecue um, for uh, for people with disabilities to come out. She came out, we met briefly there. And then from then we just kept attending events or she kept coming to events. And then Bean just, uh, Bean did Bean, man. She, uh, she took off with uh, the whole wheelie peeps and just trying to get uh, the community together or whatever. And yeah, been best buds ever since. Wow. Nice. Bet you many barbecues uh, have gone by so far. So with this happening, the gatherings, the getting together, how did you become a part of the show? Uh, again, that's all Bean's doing. You know, she, uh, this was Bean's thing. Bean, something Bean always wanted. She always wanted to highlight and, and, and have a show that highlighted people with disabilities and kind of what we go through. And she approached me and said, you know, yeah, I think you're, probably one of the most interesting guys I know, you know, would you be willing to be uh, on the show? So they sent out a crew to come do the pilot and uh, I think five minutes of my mouth and they were like, fair enough. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make this work. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about that though? The tone of what you brought to not the potty mouth, but like in yeah, general. I was going to say, how do they temper that? You know, yeah, yeah. We can't live bleep you, but just tell us about what you actually, you know, left them with the impression. Uh, you know, just that, I mean, I, I, I do wear my heart on my sleeve and, and I'm always, 
it doesn't really matter if you're in my life i'm i'm out there doing whatever i can to be to make your life seem better and, and mm-hmm. happier you know plus i'm also the guy that if you say no i'll prove you wrong so I mean, during the time they came and filmed, I was at that time still working for a construction company. I was in the middle of repainting a whole side of a truck. Ah. Uh, Just like, wow, is there anything you really don't do? And then obviously due to the relationship that I had with Victoria, you know, two people with disabilities dating or whatever, um, that that was another attraction. So it really didn't, I don't think it really took that much but uh, once they started to realize, and of course, my health, I was going through quite a bit of health issues, was, uh, which was a great, great opportunity to highlight some of the um, not so uh, glorious moments that we go through. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, season, really interesting. Yeah. Season two of Push, it dives even deeper into the world of wheelie peeps. Um, let's take a listen to the trailer. This season on Push. We're going to Italy. Yeah. Brian is so ready for Italy. I'm not so sure Italy is ready for Brian. I have not dated a wheelie dude before, so there's definitely a lot of questions. Is that like the first thing you do when you're paralyzed as a male? You just start slapping it around? This is spider. Camping's not my thing. When society collapses, you're going to come crying to me for some squirrel stew, buddy. I love you. You know that. Love is not our problem. I'm not ready to give up on this relationship. It's scary because I don't want to be ever asking for so much help. At the end of the day, this is our lives, and we either have to live it or we exist with it. I don't want to exist. I want to live. Fire in the hole. Whoa. Okay. What a roller coaster of emotions, though. Um, there's so much happening there. There's so much that we can talk about, but also just what everybody's sharing on such a real, authentic, vulnerable level. That's pretty insane. So, was Italy ready for you, Brian? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, no. <laughs> As they predicted. Where <laughs> was I ready for uh, for Italy? Um, it was a great, it was a great experience. I mean, uh, Ricardo and his family are, are definitely one of a kind, uh, people. And, you know, it was, uh, it was great just, uh, during the beginning of the show, you know, I had, uh, put on quite a few pounds this last few years. So I didn't realize Italy was not uh, prepared for the heavier side of me and, mm. uh, definitely wasn't expecting my mouth either. I don't think, um, but, uh, you know, it was great. We had a, we had a really good time. The, uh, there's a lot of great uh, footage that, that gets shown. So, yeah, it was good. I got to so, ask. Me? You'll go ahead, Ron. Okay. I'll let you finish your thought. I got to ask you because, you know, the essence of reality shows, right? Like, you do what you're doing. You say what you're saying. Your relationships are as they are. And you got the cameras and the microphones and the the cutting and featuring of your lives. Was there anything, and you don't even have to necessarily go into detail, but I'm just curious about, like, the authenticity. Was there anything that, as it happens, you're like, I am not ready to share this with the world yet? Because there's so much that we might not even be on the receiving end um, ready to receive yet, but that's just your realities. Like, that's part of the learning of us as an audience going through um, understanding what you're going through, Brian. Yeah, you know, 
it's it's what I, I i i believe in my heart that everything every film session i ever had every time the cameras were on i am 100 authentic anybody mm. who knows me uh knows that the, you know everybody has said yeah that's 100 brian um now that being said you know the relationship ending and and the turmoil me and me and victoria were going through uh for protection for the both of us uh we left personal details out and really i think navigated as best we could and that includes even with the wheelie peeps um just kind of what was going on you know you don't you don't want to air all your dirty laundry or air your whole personal mm. lives but token we'd already opened up so much of our lives in the first season to be to walk away from it in the second season is is almost impossible to do so it is a it is you know you, you're definitely you're definitely aware of of who you are and what you're saying that being said though there's really not too many cast members that aren't 100 authentic and you know whatever we're sharing at that moment is is obviously how we feel and 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 what is going on at that moment but uh yeah there it is it is a different world uh you know people don't be, you know it, it is reality but but there is still a lot that that we keep close to our chest or try to protect not just uh significant others but one another at the same time mm. How do Thank you balance you. it, Brian, in the way of the other cast members, the stuff that you guys share as a, as a, as a crew when they're filming it, filming it um, when before, when the meetings are there as to what we're covering this season? Um, and, and everybody has their own piece of this. Everybody in the group has their own moments. Um, and, and how does that kind of level out? Does, does everybody feel you guys, especially going into season two, have been able to capture that? So we hear the the thoughts the stories whatever it might be that it's easy enough to follow along as a viewer um are you guys pleased with the way that you've made decisions that allow that exposure for all of the folks your cast members that are that are on board wow that's a loaded question um you know you gotta hand it to uh phoenix and uh small army productions you know caitlin and sean uh, they're very, very good at what they do. They're, they're, um, they do have hearts and, 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 and compassion. Um, you know, we definitely do discuss as a group kind of what we're doing. I mean, the thing is, is like, <laughs> it's not like these are things that we just randomly decided to do. Like, it's not like we don't mm -hmm. do these things a regular basis you know the 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 camping trips that's that's a pretty normal thing to do now maybe you know inviting a few more or or introducing camping in a different way maybe that's a little different but i mean there's a lot of us that spend a lot of time together and there's a lot of us that haven't spent time together and you know as we're getting to know one another you know it's definitely it's definitely tough because you're being put in positions or situations that maybe maybe you wouldn't necessarily put yourself in and you know it's 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 it is a bit of a it's a bit of a roller coaster and i mean uh you know when when we do spend so much time together you know you're gonna you're gonna start button heads or or have yeah have, of course yeah you know yeah. that come yeah. up. But, you know at the end I, of the day all you can hope for is that the friends that you know we're we're true friends and you know we we just we try to be as authentic and as true to each other as we can yeah well for us as audience members 
I think that's what we'd prefer, you know, to feel that that's the gen genuine, this is for real, this is the way things go, to kind of take that roller coaster ride, as we've mentioned already, along with you guys. Um, what do you guys feel as, as or, or I guess really I should really say, what do you feel you would like people when watching the show to take away, whether it's the last, whether it's something that hits them in their their heart, what particular thing? Um, you know, we're we're literally just no different now. It's it's kind of a balancing act because as much as we say we want to be recognized as just regular people, we're also doing protests and doing things that highlight people with disabilities, and we're just trying to show the diversity within that. And you know, like I hope when people watch the show they see that yeah you know this is just regular lives just uh with a with a, a bigger challenge than most than most people have to deal with and that i hope it's you know slowly especially now that we're in our second season i noticed that people are starting to reach out uh in our social medias um asking questions tips ideas thoughts and that's all i think that's probably the main goal if we can open up conversations and 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 start uh, picking away at the things that we struggle with. I mean, you know, three feet of snow in 24 hours. I'm hoping that uh, moving further down the road, we start getting into seasons with winter and we start showing like some of the, some of those challenges and ways to get around it. And yeah, just, just doing whatever we can to, to help the public because in, in, in all of our lives and everybody that's on that, that show, you know, uh, everybody brings a dynamic and brings a, a different view. And, you know, we, uh, we educate as best we can. And, and we try to show little tips and little tricks to the trade, if you want to use that word. So, yeah, yeah. I just hope uh, when you watch the show, it educates. I hope it, 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 it attracts people to, to the conversations and I hope people enjoy it. You know, um, I think they did a great job in this uh, second season. I, they did a job in both, in both seasons, but right. yeah. Awesome. Uh, Brian, that is beautiful. Thank you for being so open. We love that. I think we had the right person to step in here and share with us. And uh, thanks for being so straight up. We will talk to you again. Good luck on, on the outcome of season two, all the way into season 25. Don't, don't. You yeah. can't use that language of telling me, are you crazy? I don't want to be here doing another, another you know, 23 seasons. But the best to all of you, and thanks a lot, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Brian McPherson joining us, co-star of AMI's docuseries, Push, which uh, we were getting a preview and talking about season two, which debuts Monday, March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv, also available on AMI+. Plus. And, of course, you can watch season one over there at AMI Plus as well. Up next on the program, the Beatles are getting a Fab Four package of biopics. All right. And director Sam Mendes says he has a grand vision for the project. We hear more with Corinne Van Dusen on our Entertainment Report next. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Some wonderful conversations we have on the program. Welcome back, folks. It's Kelly and Rumya. 
At the home studio in London, Ontario, I'm Kelly McDonald, Ramya Muthan over there at the um, studio in Toronto on main campus. But, you know, it's always fun, Rum, to sit, learn, and just get different perspectives. And I, I have to say with Brian and talking about PUSH, so many different perspectives you get to view in this program. Yeah, absolutely. There's just... Um, oh, and Unity. Unity. And, you know, when we talk about reality shows, yeah, we, we love the, the character following, right? And we think like, oh my, the personalities. But really, this concept of push is way deeper than that, because we're talking about following lives of people with disabilities. So as he kind of said near the end, people reach out to him for tips, for tricks, for, um, you know, advocacy examples and, and venting and ranting about that, because it hits in a different way when you are, are uh, talking about disability and thinking like, oh my gosh, I go through the exact same stuff that these people are going through. How are you painting a truck? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, exactly. like, like, I know some people sit in their sinks, oh, he's painting a truck. Yeah, well, you try doing it from his position and wondering how, and yet let him show you and say, oh, of course that makes sense. Really cool stuff. All right, let's get to our bi-weekly entertainment chat. This is with Corinne Van Dusen. Hi, I'm Corinne Van Dusen. Join me as we dive into the latest entertainment stories from music, television, and movies here with Kelly and Ramya. Well, we're definitely getting into movies and music today. Um, <laughs> just off the top with this first item, Corinne, four movies are in production for one of the most popular bands in the world, in history, The Beatles. Yeah. So why four movies and not just one? Is this all happening simultaneously? Uh, yeah, it should be. Uh, the four movies are because the story is going to be told through each of the members. So each member is going to get their very own movie, John Lennon, uh. Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr. So how they um, experienced, I believe this isn't set in stone. Uh, it's starting uh, starting the band and being the biggest band in the world kind of thing. So the the pivotal moments that other, move, other biopics have tried. Um, there's Backbeat. There's a, um, a bunch of uh, different ones that bring everyone together and like tells the story, quote unquote, of the Beatles yeah. that I don't think quite quite captured it like backbeat takes place in germany because the beatles played in germany mm -hmm. with um yeah. um i believe it was Stu sutcliffe who was the bassist um and then he left to stay in germany and then unfortunately passed away not soon after so that story's been told which has been pretty good and then there's been movies about john lennon uh and such but this is like four movies four perspective of the same band so it's like you know getting four sides of the story yeah yeah, wow. and and not having to feel like you need to cut or capture or kind of box in certain elements to make it all fit into one thing. It's like, a, it mm -hmm. would be weird choices, right? Because you're choosing what you you're so tempted to choose what's the most accurate as opposed to their opinions. Yeah, and, and you're trying to encompass fail. four stories, but then you know this essence of like looping it all back in together because they are a band. Whereas in this case, you can legit just keep everything separate. Or however, mm -hmm. I don't know. These are my editorial comments. It's so <laughs> cool. Um, so the director is Sam Mendes, and he says he has a grand vision for the project. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. So he said they're going to be interconnected stories. So to your point, uh, Ramia, they might not be the exact same thing, mm. but they're interconnected with everyone telling uh, stories throughout. It's from each band member's point of view. Uh and they do say the dating cadence of the films will be revealed closer to the release. So they haven't locked it down to starting the band, being the band, ending the band kind of thing. 
Like it'll be interesting to see. There's lots of cool um, ways you could do it. Like we can all become editors for this film. <laughs> yeah, films yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it'll be interesting what people, when they do come out, what you would choose to see first. Whose mm-hmm. perspective well, of whatever, I, right? It's not sure. They haven't said, Sam Mendes hasn't said um, if he will release them all at once or one right. by one. Uh, he did say that they're expected to roll out in an innovative fashion potentially coexisting or right. intersecting in theaters but not necessarily so it's going to be wow. a big uh, a big thing all around not just like the movies themselves but how they come out how they go to theaters because you know you can everyone has their most people have their favorite beetle if you like the beetles you yep. got your favorite beetle right so you're gonna yep. want to see whoever it is first and like poor ringo is probably going to be the last one to be <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. A lot of younger that. people, a lot of younger people like Ringo due to his performances on TV and That's stuff, fair. right? Where a lot may go for, oh, John Lennon and, you know, the one who died. It's probably the shorter, but it's more poignant in certain ways. And um, Corinne, like for me, I, I'd probably go see Paul first. And, and and that that's just, but I would love them to come out at the same time. I'd like to see the choice, what leads in the choices people make. Mm-hmm. I would definitely go... Paul, George, Ringo, John. Those are that's my order. Uh, so, me too. I, just I, I because would, I, I know, tend to agree with you. I already so know so much about John Lennon. I was a huge Beatles fan in high school. My entire room was full of Beatles stuff. I had every like bootleg copy. I would wow. search for different memorabilia and posters. Like they were in high school, they were such a huge part of of life. So knowing all about it. So and a lot of people go into it, right? So get yep. back. Yeah. The uh, Peter Jackson yeah. special that has come out showed a lot of things about the Beatles from one from one certain spot, right? They're recording an album and they're going to record right. on the roof. So people already have a lot of knowledge about the Beatles. Um, and yep. this will be interesting to see which like kind of things that are chosen to put forth. Because you can't put absolutely unless you want to do like six hour films each which hopefully he's not going to yeah. do because that's no. a long commitment. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah I, I like that. I love even you're referencing the Hamburg shows. It, it just what the difference in the way things were. And when you think about a band like that being so prolific, so early over in the UK and then uh, starting the British invasion really in, in, in the States. But I was, I, I was a little younger when I liked started to like the Beatles was just before John Lennon got shot, like month, mere months before. And I was just collecting records and everything. It was so, I, I think this is great. Okay, should we move on to your friend over here, Marvel? Uh, They're hoping to (laughs) finally get it right with its latest Fantastic Four movie. So what makes this movie, this one, so different than the other ones? And why did the other ones not make it? Oh, my gosh. Explain. Can we talk? Can we talk? (laughs) Well, first of all, we'll say what this this latest one is about. So it's not going to center around how the Fantastic Four got their powers, that's what the other ones do, like how uh, um, each mm-hmm. character became who they are. Uh, it's basic. A lot of people know it. The president of Marvel just says they're going to bring uh, something that they've never seen before. So I don't know the day to day accounting of the Fantastic <laughs> <laughs> Four. Oh. Yeah. oh man. Yeah, yeah. The this power is the down, minimal the version of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Who's in this thing? 
They've uh, loaded it with a lot of good people. Pedro Pascal, who's uh, a golden boy right now, I would say. He's been cast as Reed Richards, who's Mr. Fantastic. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is Sue Storm, a.k.a. The Invisible Woman. Yvonne Musk-Backrack. He is from The Bear. He's won literally every award that he could be nominated for. Oh, good. <laughs> he is playing wow. uh, Ben Grimm, who turns into The Thing. And then Joseph Quinn plays Johnny Storm, who is the nice. human torch. Okay. So let's go back to Rum's initial question. Do you think they finally cracked the code in making a good Fantastic Four film based on the past <clears throat> errors, mistakes? <laughs> <laughs> the two previous movies um i i like to love everything i do i give everything a chance i try my best fantastic four is not something i can do anymore <laughs> i saw the 2005 version in theaters they put jessica Elba and chris album i know chris <laughs> evans they were huge superstars and yep. it was you know, it it just seems to be, I know Marvel kind of goes for more cheese factor, like with Thor and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and such, but it's just like, no offense, but who cares about the Fantastic Four? And we've proved it twice that nobody really does. I know, like, why yes, are they, they trying were, again? Yeah, yeah, they yeah I'm sorry. I felt they this way as a child. Happen. Like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic click. Yeah. And uh, Miles uh, Teller was in the last one. So it's not like they don't get big names for each one and they're just trying to do everything. But it just doesn't like it's it's not a group that has proven to be interesting. If you watch the 2005 one, it was also filmed in Toronto. So there's a lot of Toronto things there. Uh, a bunch of reporters run up and like Ben Mulroney is in it. So it's like media people from Canada that you'd recognize, which was pretty cool. And then it's just, it's cheesy. It's a cheesy thing. So the 2005 <laughs> one was fun. They tried to get darker with the 2015 one. And now they're trying again in 2025. That's when it's supposed to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like kicking you know, the cat every, 25, every 10 years to see if yeah. there's different viewers, different yeah. potential. I'm not going to tell you... I'm not going to tell you not to see it because everyone yeah. likes different movies, right? I am right. in love with the Fast and Furious series. Not everybody likes that. I think it's the greatest thing ever made. A lot of people made. do, though. Yeah. And, yeah. And, the... so, and some people will like this. I'm not saying don't exactly. go see it. It's not my cup of tea. And some people will go because it's Marvel, right? Like, we got huge mm -hmm. fan bases for Marvel. And whether mm. or not they, they do it well, they got another kick at the can, so it's Marvel, yeah. so you'll go to see you know it. I don't think they have Surprise that big me. of an audience Surprise for me, Marvel. Surprise Actually, that's me, Marvel. Surprise me, Pedro and Yvonne and all those great people that you have it. I, I will, uh, if I see it, I'm not going to go out of my way to see it. <laughs> but, you know, if and I it see it and it's great, Disney. it's great. I'm yeah. not going to, you know. So, as some people say, if you like it, I'm not going to yuck your yum. Well, will, wow. you know. gosh, so there you go. that's a phrase. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's one more chat. Um, we got The Greatest Night in Pop, which is, is, is it a documentary on yes. Netflix? Okay, that's what it's being categorized as. And it's a behind-the-scenes look at one very particular night in music that brought the um, music stars of that time, uh, biggest music stars of that time, together. So we're talking about the song We Are the World. What was the inspiration behind it? Mm -hmm. We Are the World came out in 1985. It's the charity single for uh, African Famine Relief. And it was um, it was Bob Geldof who did uh, Live Aid from Britain. Uh, I don't you know. That's a huge single. They they did. Uh, do you do they know it's Christmas for relief in Africa? Mm -hmm. Harry yeah. Belafonte, who's American, 
um, is was a, a huge um, activist and stuff and brought and said, you know what, we, we need to help famine in Ethiopia as well. What can we do the best? We can sing. Let's get the greatest people in pop from the 1980s together to to do something good. Mm. And give us a, um, a reflection on who the stars were. Well, yeah, Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, who wrote the song. Um, and then Bob Dylan shows up, Diana Ross, Stevie Wonder was there, Paul Simon, Tina Turner, uh, Cindy Lauper, Huey Lewis, there, Bruce Springsteen. So many people showed up. It would take too long to list absolutely everyone. But, you know, anyone in the 80s who had big hair and big hits, they were there. Nice. Were there any other iterations of charity songs Yep. Um, from uh, your supergroup? Well, no, in 2010, there was one. Uh, the An all-star cast of singers were brought together to help those affected by the 7.0 magnitude earthquake in Haiti. And yes. that included 2010 stars like Justin Bieber, Jennifer Hudson, Tony Braxton, and Miley Cyrus. Um, the last thing I had here was who would be in your supergroup? Uh, uh, and who do you think would be in mine, Rami? I'll give you one guess. Taylor Swift. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> from the bottom of my heart i knew it would be taylor yeah. swift oh man yeah i do i had I, a whole taylor free segment for you and you weren't here so oh, i dedicated I that to you. i thought You're you were so gonna do kind. it again i didn't i was surprised you didn't bring up her father punching that uh, uh what was it Media, <laughs> member of the media you're kidding yeah. right yeah. yeah you're right corinne it is a challenge to do a, a taylor free segment with you no 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 trust me it's not corinne knows knows that's not Oh, come on. <laughs> Thanks, Corinne. We'll chat with you in two weeks. Just ask Thank Brock. you. <laughs> Corinne Van Dusen joins us for bi-weekly entertainment chats, and this is Opposite TV Talk with Greg David. Up next, Grant Hardy. He's here today with the buzz, filling in for Beth Deer, who isn't here. And, of course, we haven't had Bill around for a while, so we hand the baton yet again after the break. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the program. If you want to check us out on repeat, ladies and gentlemen, here's the easiest way to do it. Of course, we have the show debut on AMI-tv each day, Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. On AMI-audio at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, of course, a, a repeat of the program on both networks, because just because we're greedy, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, um, and overnight, 1 a.m. on AMI-tv, and 6 a.m. in the morning on AMI-audio. Absolutely plenty of times to catch the program, so we always hope that uh, you'll be able to take that chance and uh, you know spend some time with us. So I'm going to go back to... The Marvel? No, no, not that one. No, the Beatles. Let's talk about the Beatles. I, I love the idea of it being released at the same time. I really yeah, do. Uh, but you know, I, go to a theater with has twelve hundred screens and it be on like four hundred of them or whatever. Like I, you know, like oh my each, gosh. each. You like you know, I, I think that's great. Oh, it would really be cool because you get to see kind of and which ones people prefer. Like Corinne and I both had the same listing of what we would go see. But what would someone younger? What would someone who wasn't around? What would somebody who mm -hmm. watched Timing Time Station or whatever the heck? You know, but those people uh, are easier you know, to cater to. Like people who have not grown up with the Beatles, who aren't hardcore fans like Corinne is, who don't already have the list of like, uh, you know, I would watch this first and this first and this first. The, like. 
those people are easier to cater to, I think, if all four mm -hmm. movies were simultaneous release and you just kind of do what you want. But you guys are harder because you have an intention of, like, what you would watch and when you would watch it and who maybe you wouldn't even watch, right? So but I, I think, think a lot of it's based about on it. our favorite Beatle. I, I don't think it's like, okay, which one's going to tell the story better? I, I, think, I think if you were smart who's as your favorite Beatle? Yeah. Maybe, but if you yeah. were smart as a director, you'd want to make sure everybody watches all four. And how would you do oh, that? Oh, yeah. But you know the Corinne's and Kelly's are going to watch all four because we're sure. going to look for That's inaccuracies fair. or whatever. Maybe. It's the you guys who are saying, all these four are out at the same time. What should I go see? I don't know. Well, you know what? I'm going to go to the theater at 1 o'clock and watch all four on Saturday. <laughs> And that's as if the anybody kind of has the attention span for do. that anymore. Well, as that's if. true. I, I'm going to go and watch it online. Let's see what YouTube has for me. They'll have some sped up version <laughs> can, or something exactly, like that. I can pause. Directed by Ramya Muthan. Uh -huh. That's right. <laughs> Folks, um, we do this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We call the segment The Buzz. And today we welcome Grant Hardy in, who's uh, got a few items for us to talk about. Grant, welcome back to the show. And we we'll, can get started whenever you want. All right, oh, for, first, Grant. Because I know you like music of bygone years, some groups. Uh, are you bygone year enough to go all the way back to enjoying the Beatles? Beatles have never really been my thing. I don't know why. I like a couple of their songs. Oh, look, look, but... your mom just turned the TV off now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. There's just something, some of them are a little too, I don't know wild for for my taste but i do appreciate the, the older music um uh, where do you want to start sir yeah i want to thank people for tuning into our telephone game of buzz here beth filling in for bill mark filling in for beth me filling in for mark uh, <laughs> yeah. i don't know how we keep this all straight um so i wanted to talk about something kind of a little bit deep here and i'm basically what i'm going to do is is present as uh, a couple different perspectives and then we can go from there um but highly anticipated uh they plan to do this uh, a while ago but the um liberal government has introduced their highly anticipated online harms act uh which uh, it has proposed um adding sweeping reforms focused on protecting kids online uh including creating internet complaint mechanisms and potentially steep new penalties for hate crimes. Uh, the legislation aims to cover social media services, live streaming services, and user uploaded adult content services that meet some sort of threshold that's not really defined yet, but a threshold of having a lot of users. Uh, they say that private and encrypted messaging services are excluded from this legislation, although more services could be uh, added in the future if they pose a significant threat. So basically, uh, we break it down into three broad categories. We won't, won't mention everything, but uh, protecting users, especially kids, from harmful content, establishing an enforceable complaint mechanism, plus criminal code and Canadian Human Rights Act amendments, including criminal penalties for hate crimes and advocating violence. Currently, it's just sort of a mitigating factor that can be used to augment an existing uh sentence uh you also are going to have to have um the ability to block users offending content has to be taken down within 24 hours there's some sort of a complaint uh process 
in place as well. Uh, and things like deep fakes are banned. Uh, the government says they anticipate a lot of pushback on this legislation. Uh, legislation from, quote, online platforms and people with money and people with influence. Um, so... As if we haven't heard that before. Mm, yeah, so I guess I'm just going to kind of lay out the two sides here. On the one side, um, there is some incredibly obvious content that I think, like, you'd be hard-pressed to say this should be legal. Deep fakes of people absolutely should be taken down abusive and predatory content 100% should be taken down. I believe that there are some serious threats that need to be addressed with everything from parental control to, um, you know, more age-appropriate designs to definitely having people you can reach out to if things are going wrong. And I am the kind of person who I don't necessarily, I don't think that freedom of speech needs to include advocating horrific levels of violence and i would absolutely be in favor of that being against the criminal code one one challenge whenever legislation like this comes up relates to i think is people getting a little skittish about privacy it's interesting that they say encrypted messages are exempt because they have to be there's no way at all really to police them so the only thing they could do which other governments have tried to do is to break encryption um, sometimes people have said, you know, if you don't have anything to hide, why should you uh, care if the government can snoop on all your communications? Uh, one thing I've seen mentioned to people that kind of makes people think is like, imagine if you're pro-choice and you're living in a society that isn't pro-choice mm-hmm. and you're trying to share resources or tips or whatever, and the government can just snoop on all of your communications because you have encryption and no privacy. And that's something where people kind of go like, okay, I kind of get how this maybe makes sense. So looking at Canada's bill, I do think that, um, I think we've done a good job. It's, it's very made in Canada. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't threaten encryption. There are some horrific harms online that I think seriously need to be policed, regulated, and as some accountability, um, but I do think looking at some other countries, what the UK has tried to do, what the, the US has tried to do with legislation that was so severe that tech companies said, like, look, we can't, we can't even say that we can remain secure or private if you do this. I do think we really have to make sure our governments stay uh, accountable for whatever legislation they create. Curious about your thoughts. Ooh, yeah, there's, this is very, very loaded, Grant, because there's... Um obviously all these different facets of what they want to cover. We'll just say cover. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, different elements of privacy, of censorship, of even just understanding um, the the differences of opinions and arguments for and against a lot of this stuff. And it's very complicated. I think my challenge is, initially at least, is knowing... Um, how transparent we are going to be about what is being monitored, what's being surveillanced, who's doing the surveillancing, how the consequences are going to be laid out. Um, I, I find it really difficult to take a legislation like this or a topic even like this and say, um, sure, yeah, it makes sense because we don't know what it is that they're trying to, um, or how, not what, but how they're trying to uh, make this work. 
and it becomes mm -hmm. more complicated because of how we run things in general systematically through the country. Um, we also have agreements with other countries about kind of spying and keeping monitoring con conversations, things that go on uh, within our countries um, that we allow the United States, Australia, uh, several others, to be privy, to have access. And I think that has to be spelled out too. And, and people have to understand what is the warnings. You should be able to have some encrypted conversation, as you've mentioned, with your example, but even just to basically trade information among family members and but stuff for how like that. long, right? Like if, if this kind of thing um, is created, right? Like if, if someone's going to start monitoring everything, then how long are we going to have options that are end-to-end -end encrypted? Well, you, Where you do we draw have, the lines? You have to, because you can't, you can't have everything monitored in a free society like we have. This is something right. that you would have. But that's in, what I'm in, saying. It's it's a bulk situation that we're trying to deal with. Well, the hate and, that, speech, and that's what hate I'm saying. If cyber. you're going to put something through like this, who all is? I think that's the key thing you said for me. You know, obviously the other stuff very important. But who gets this access? Mm -hmm. All right. It's one thing to say your government is watching, but why does the United States, why does Australia or somewhere else necessarily need to? We need to be a pro and we need ways of being able to have private conversations without worrying. What about the crazy, uh, disrespectful, yeah. excuse me, I don't mean to say crazy. That's the wrong word to say. The person who has a nefarious reason to pick up on what Ramya Grant might say, Kelly might say, and decide they're going to utilize that in a very nefarious way. It can happen. I don't care if yeah. you work for the government, the police, it can happen. Yeah, I think that ultimately with public content from a common sense perspective, like if Ramya was running it, if Kelly was running it, if, you know, people that we had some 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 faith in were, were running it, I can imagine just the, the terrible stuff that I would take down or police or, you know, even charge uh, yeah. criminally. Um, yeah. But I definitely think something like this, uh, although addressing some truly palpable and horrific and, and terrible harms, it does need to have some oversight, especially yep. if we would get into a situation yeah. where we're breaking some. Well, and, and most people wanting to do or to re are, are looking on pages where people who support their viewpoints are. They're going to resources where they can scream out, "Oh, I'm against this. I'm against that." Um, we need to obviously private conversations, individual conversations. Yep. We need to have respect for that. But most of the people who want to spread hate in one way or another, other than don't get me wrong harassing individuals and such as the, what's been put across in BC, you know, we know that these things are there, that people want to do these things on a private individual level, harass, chase someone. Um, but I think one of the areas we can go after are a lot of the places where people are spreading their hate speech and their disruptive things and trying to get people to do nasty things as a group, protest in nasty, violent ways. Um, we can find mm -hmm. those. We have a right in our constitution to protest. Uh, Grant, Indeed. we ate up all your time, of course. Super interesting. I figured it would be a heavy subject. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Oh, we'll get man. to lots more in the upcoming week. Okay.
Okay, pal, thank you very much. We'll talk to you then. Grant Hardy joining us this week, covering off the buzz. We do this Wednesday, Thursday, and Fridays on the program. In the next hour of our show, AMI's HR business partner, Alicia Yardley, will be with us, and she's going to be talking about the value of work placements, such as uh, taking a look at our AMI apprenticeship program. Wendy Dunnan, Executive Director of the Oakville Festival of Films and Arts, will join us with some details on their upcoming fourth annual Women's Day event. But up next, community reporter Vic Pereira joins us and brings us the latest from Manitoba. We'll talk to him in a moment. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Well, we're getting you ready, folks. To start hour two of our program, of course, lots of great conversations ahead. Please, hope you'll stick around with us and uh, enjoy the rest of your day with us right here on Kelly and Rumya. Remember, subscribe and check out our podcast when you get a chance. You can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the show in its complete form. Matt Agnew also today providing us with our audio vanity card at the end of the full show podcast. A lady over there. He's at the studio in Toronto. That's Romeo Muth, and I'm Kelly McDonald at the home studio in London, Ontario. This guy we're bringing on next, Vic Pereira. He is our community reporter out in Winnipeg, joining us on the program today. Vic, thank, nice to have you back. Oh, thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Romeo. Nice seeing you again. There's a bit we of a war these... between Winnipeg and Toronto happening this morning on the oh, morning oh. show. What? Oh, Completely my that. fault. It's because Why I said it? I would never leave Toronto and... Uh, Dave well, Brown said, well, try moving to Winnipeg. And I was like, never. And But I was like, no, not because it's not about Winnipeg. It's about Toronto, center of the universe. Oh, Vic, does it my offend Winnipeg from, people? Well, my oh, wife go ahead, is go from ahead. Toronto. Oh, my wife is from Toronto and she doesn't want to go back. See? Okay, great. That's an argument for, well, that's for me a, to bring a, to an tomorrow. Well, but most people outside of Toronto feel the same way. Um, <laughs> whether they've been or not, right? But Vic, do people in Winnipeg get mad when people call it Winterpeg? No, because you know there's Winter Pig, Manasnoba. <laughs> I didn't just know that with one. It. I like that. <laughs> and and if if we're lucky to win, you know, uh, the Great yeah. Cup, then it's Winter Pig for a while. Oh <laughs> my gosh, it sounds like um, town names in a kids' book. I like that. <laughs> All right, Vic. Winnipeg Transit Master Plan. Oh, boy, we know about these kinds of things going on. And, Vic, I'm a big supporter, especially of those of us in the disability world. Get out there and get to these um, information sessions when they're held like this one. Yes, because you know, they were supposed to be actually 2020 was the original plan, which never happened. And now they're coming up with another plan because they haven't really fixed transit here. Like Winnipeg came mm. to be in about 1972 when a bunch of communities merged to form Winnipeg. I think that happens in other places like Toronto, yes. St. St. Charles, and they never really adapted the routes. Like they may have stretched a couple of them or tweaked a couple of them. Like we even have buses with the same number that go to different destinations. Which oh my God! No oh, that's confusing. Do they, at least put a, do they at least put an A, B, C, or something like that when they when they need to expand when they're annexing these areas? Oh no, that that would be too easy. They they would have something <laughs> like uh, 16 Osborne Southdale Center, or 16 Osborne uh, Saint Amant, which don't they're not even close to each other. So if you're no. just looking to the 16, or if you have a bit of a print disability, or if you're uh, new to the city, you get on the wrong 16, you're not going to end up where you want to be. 
Yeah. 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 Here in London, they've taken off the names, which is really difficult. It's just really a numbered <clears throat> route. You have to know which route you're on, go to the sign. And I'm, I, I have to wonder how much of that was done for that ease, that accessibility and people just not getting confused. They just know I've got to get the 17, then the 25 and just go yeah. like that. Um, and what I hope are your to feelings? find that out at this I'm hoping that they're going to clear that up in the information session because some of the free uh, information they provided, there are a lot of maps and stuff. And I've tried to have people explain it to me. I've tried using various AI tools, but I still can't get a picture of what this master plan is going to look like in the end. So I'm hoping these information sessions are going to clear it up. Yeah. Um do you think there, I mean, again, you're saying you're hoping <clears throat> certain things like that. Do you expect any other conversation about what seems to be a restructuring of the system? Well, they want to integrate Winnipeg Transit Plus, which is, uh, I think a lot of other cities might call it paratransit or Accessibus or Handy Trans. They, they want to integrate that as well, and uh, but they haven't been very uh, out forthcoming and how that's going to happen. So it'd be interesting to see what, what they do with that. And the downtown where they're, they're creating that hub at Union Station, that's where the Via Rail Station is. So at least people coming in on the train, they should be able to hop on one of these uh, transit routes to take them to where they need to be. Excellent, yeah. Yeah, we gotta do more, always do more uh, when it comes to connecting different systems together. Of course, local transit systems need their improvements as well, but the connection and how difficult some of this stuff can be, especially on an accessibility level for people with disabilities. But in general, I think a lot of people um, go through a lot of hell yeah. trying to connect. And you got to get people out of cars, man. You got it. Yeah. And I'm going to be curious to see what where I'm going to end up in the city because I use transit quite a bit. And now I'm going to have to learn a whole new system. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's going to be uh, quite the, maybe I'll find a new coffee shop or something. <laughs> exactly. Get lost and find one. That'll yeah. be fun. Then you'll never remember what route it was you were on. Was it the 16A? <laughs> G? Oh, God, yeah. forget it. Got to return our brains, retrain. Um, tell us, because this is uh, more about physical activity, about the Accessible Sport Expo Manitoba. Yeah, the accessible sport, they, they get a lot of organizations that have all these different types of sports activities for people with different disabilities. And they, last year, the, they first had it at the University of Manitoba, where they uh, come together in a big auditorium and let people try the sport. So last year, we took our tandem bike and let people ride it around the track. There was uh, the uh, Manitoba Rifle Association was there with their laser sight, with the audible laser sight, so you could try shooting. There was some jujitsu uh, happening. Uh, and I think there was uh, archery, I think, was another activity. And it's it's for all disabilities. So you might have, you know, a, a, a hand bike that you can pedal, or it's hard to do cross-country skiing indoors, but uh, there, there might even be some of those. So, so they want to get become a, an information source so that no matter what type of ability you have or what accommodation you need, you can go to this one-stop shop, try it, and if it's for you, get more information and get out there and be more active. And Neverville is just uh, just outside the city, so it's, it's kind of nice that they're getting outside because Winnipeg is a major center, like 75% mm. of the population is here. So it's nice to see that uh, they're, they're reaching out to some of the smaller communities and get more interest there as well. 
That's a great point, actually, Vic, because I'm, I'm seeing a lot of this in different provinces as well, even with sports that we already uh, know a lot about or, you know, in the para sports communities. But really, when it comes to especially the tryouts side of things, so recreational and um, grassroots level uh, initiatives, we do want to make sure that geography is a highly considered element. Yeah, especially being a, a city with four seasons, you want to make sure you have uh, things for people to do in regardless of what the season is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so is this something that you've taken part in before or first kind of time hearing about it? I've taken, it was the first time last year and we were there. Okay. And we did, because our tandem, it's, you can adjust each seat and handlebar individually. You don't, uh, they're not tied to that center post for the nice. for the pilot so even people of uh, d different statures were able to, to ride and try it and there was no divorces and no breakups so everything went well <laughs> tandems have become very very popular not <clears throat> just for the the blind low vision community but in general i think um so i often think about redesigning tandems to make sure that that like what you just mentioned adjustability is something that we could think about by default rather than think, oh, this tandem's not for me, next. Yeah, because the first the tandems were usually designed for the larger person to be the pilot and yeah. the smaller person that's to be the it. stoker. Yeah. So that's getting away from that now, which is nice. And the stokers just kind of yeah. deal with what they deal with for height and uh, uh, space, distance between handlebar and torso. Yeah. yeah. Unless you get extensions or something like yeah. that for the handlebars, and it's just, uh, yeah. Uh, Vic, let's uh, spin into your uh, last one, if we may. The peak of the market potato week. Yes, I put that in there for fun because who doesn't like I potatoes? I love it. <laughs> yeah. and even well, though this uh... isn't the season for harvesting <laughs> potatoes, <laughs> it's usually right. uh, you know August, September. But uh, now they're they're challenging restaurants to come up with their creation of this uh, you know beloved vegetable or tuber. I don't know what the difference is yet. But uh, as for a person who enjoys things like French fries, mashed potatoes, twice baked potatoes, we're, we're going to pick a few restaurants to go to and, and see. And hopefully we come out feeling you know, full and satisfied because we've all been to restaurants where you come out just feeling different. So it'd be nice to try something, something new. And wow. We do grow a Are lot you, of potatoes here because Carnation what? is just outside of Winnipeg, and they ship a lot down to Mexico because the oh. there's a, you know the the Highway 29 across the U.S. border goes right down to Laredo, Texas, right to the Mexican border, and right. uh, they export a lot to the U.S. and to Mexico from here. Wow, that's amazing. And and again, uh, as I was joking off the top about the Winnipeg thing, what a more up here in Canada warmy thing. So as we laugh at this time of the year talking potatoes like this but what how many people are making those soups potato this potato leek whatever it might be because it gives you that warming up from the inside kind of thing um, it, it totally makes sense but that's something that most of us wouldn't know that that pipeline right down to mexico and that celebration of the potato yes and uh, I'd never had a Mr. Potato Head growing up, so maybe maybe they'll show up as the he'll show up as the mascot at one of these restaurants. I remember those darn things. I, I never had one either. It was just one of those things as a kid. I'd oh no, I don't want that one. But oh boy, uh, well, what is your favorite soup, Vic? That keeps you warm. Is it a potato related soup, or are you somebody that goes for squash? 
Well, I like scotch broth, which does have potatoes in it, but uh, I also appreciate a good squash. Yeah, wow. Hey, pal, thanks a lot. I always appreciate you being on board with us and getting a chance to visit. Uh, we'll talk to you next month when it won't be so winter peg. We hope. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Vic. Camille reporter Vic Pereira joining us from Winnipeg with the latest that he's got for us. We talk to our Camille reporters on the program Monday through Wednesday. Sometimes we throw one in on a Thursday if we miss our Monday performance of the show. Uh, but it's always great to get their insights, things coming up, and experiences out, and that taste of their community, potato soup and all. Up next... Wendy Dunnan, executive director of the Oakville Festival of Films and Arts, joins us with a lot of details on their fourth annual International Women's Day events. We'll get into this conversation as we invite back old friend Wendy to the program after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Arriving back from maybe your two-minute run to the kitchen to grab something else to settle back and enjoy the rest of the program. Lots of great conversation ahead here on Kelly and Ramya as we walk you through your Wednesday edition of the program. Well, we love talking film festivals and uh, representation of different populations in film festivals because we know the kind of impact powerful impact that we uh, have with this kind of content and with art. So let's talk about the Oakville Film Festival um, of uh, Film, or sorry, Oakville Festival of Film and Art. That's what it's actually officially called. And this one is kind of a revisit of a conversation because we like to check in with the Oakville, Oakville Festival of Film and Arts every year. This is, they're celebrating four years. They're celebrating, celebrating the accomplishments of Canadian women in film, in music, in art, and comedy with this fourth um, uh, annual International Women's Day event. It's taking place on March 4th, which is this upcoming Monday, and we're going to talk about it more with OFFA's executive uh, director, Wendy Donnan, who's returning to the program to talk a little bit more about this inspirational and very exciting homage to women. Wendy, it's nice to have you back on. It's great to see you again. Fourth year. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so tell we're, us. We're just thrilled. Yeah, of course. And we are too. And like I said, it's nice to return back to these conversations, know that it's going strong uh, with the OFFA. So tell us about what exactly this uh, film festival is and this event. Absolutely. Now, this is a special event that uh, OFA puts on. So Oakville Festivals of Film and Art is a bit of a mouthful. Uh, but <laughs> As you heard in the Women's intro. Day, <laughs> International Women's Day is not. I mean, we have been celebrating International Women's Day for four years. We like to shine a spotlight on the accomplishments of Canadian women. And that includes film, that includes the arts, that includes performance and music. And Monday, we have a close to sold out event. Um, and we've got a motivational MC, a woman um, named Carol Bertiani Luzani, who's just amazing, a comedian, um, public speaker. We have um, Sydney May, uh, who's been winning awards across Canada. And uh, we have Grandmother's Voice, which is an Indigenous circle 
drumming group. And so it's a really nice. eclectic and interesting uh, event. We have 50 signed books from filmmaker Deanne Whalen as well. So we are screening 500 days in a while. Now this woman, get this, Deanne Whalen, she's a filmmaker, she's an author, and she's an adventurer. This woman's in her 50s. She's the first person to traverse the entire Trans-Canada Trail. And she's just amazing. Wow. Um, she recognizes on her journey, she talks about, you know, Indigenous people's rights. She talks about uh, missing and murdered uh, Indigenous women. And then just that inspirational trip from a woman that, you know, just uh, just blows me away. And I'm very proud to say that we're screening uh, the very first local screening of this film. It's coming out in theaters um, this week, but just amazing. So we have... Um, we're raising some funds as well for the Women's Centre of Halton, um, as we always do. So they're an important community partner, uh, really, for women who are in crisis or distress or transition. Uh, so we're excited to be doing that. We're also excited to uh, be screening this amazing film. So Deanne uh, basically hikes and she bikes, she paddles, she, she snowshoes and skis across the country. Um, and uh, we have a virtual Q&A live with her after the screening. We're giving away books. We've got a 50-50 draw. We have all these amazing door prizes, sponsors involved, and the tickets have just been going like hotcakes uh, for these events. So uh, this is leading into our June festival, which is the 19th to 25th of June. And we think it's going to be a really big year. And there's popcorn, there's wine and beer, there's beverages, uh, big drum presentation, like I said, uh, photo opportunities in front of Step and Repeat Waldor Prizes. Lots of fun. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, man, that's beautiful. I, I mean, everything you've said, the whole experience, it just it, it brings out so much. Okay, well, let's do a little more talking about the film, okay, with this featured documentary, 500 sure. Days in the Wild, from our award-winning director, Diane Nealon. Um, following the return to nature and cross-country journey on that cross-Canada trail, we have a trailer we'd like to run a little bit of, so Great. let's do that now. Public inquiry into the depths of Aboriginal women was resisting, but the provinces are looking to turn off the pressure. The world inquiry. had stopped making sense. And I was feeling lost too, you know, and full of anger and disappointment. So I just wanted to be alone in nature for a while. And I set out to make a documentary on the longest trail in the world. The Trans-Canada Trail connects three oceans. There are 24,000 kilometers of trails, and I'm gonna try to travel from one end of the continent to the other. I'm getting some help from some of my friends along the way, but I'm gonna be doing most of the trail by myself. What matters is temperature, it's wind, and animal prints in the mud. It's the Wolf Superhighway. It is not running. I know, I see that. This is really intense, man. Ah! We're stuck. We're not at Disneyland here. No. I'm lost. That's what gets people killed right there. Wow. I mean, amazing. Hi. 500 days in the wild. Uh, and of course, director Diane Whelan. Um, Wendy, that's just amazing. That's going to be some film. I, I also yep. think, Wendy, when we talk about how many people from diverse diverse walks of life are tied together 
by a film festival really that starts out honoring women of all walks all all Canadian women first up when you started out but right now these days we're seeing a lot of interest in different things and I, I I'm a sports fan so I think about how much interest all of a sudden basketball's getting women playing hockey women playing and I see Absolutely. this everywhere businesses run by women and I want to say it's a time for us, everyone, to do understanding. But what a time for a film festival like this to be able to set out so many offerings and diversity and variety. And to celebrate women from all walks of life. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the reality is in the Canadian film industry, and I'll be honest about you with this, there was a recent report out of Berlin at the Berlin Film Festival that shows that it's going to be at the rate we are going with female directors. It's going to be close to 200 years until women achieve parity. And that's in the private industry, wow. um, the government funded film uh, through telefilm and other organizations. Women are getting up there in terms of parity. So we're working to do that. And I think the more that we do these kind of events and the more light we shine on women uh, as individuals with their own stories, with their own passions, with their own talents, then that's what's going to really bring this up. And I think we need to, as a festival, we're a social issues-based festival. We shine a light on all kinds of issues related to social issues. And all of them matter in our community. They matter in Canada. They matter in the world. And that's what I love to do. And that's what I love about what we're doing on Monday and what we're doing in June. So um, hope you guys can come out. We'll have some tickets at the door for this. Um, it's pretty much close to sold up. We are saving some tickets for the door. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, Wow. I would love to know from you, Wendy, because you have the sample size of four uh, years of this event running around International Women's Day. And I'm curious about the tone. Uh, how you, do you feel that the tone has shifted in these last four years about this or around the storytelling, around what women are sharing, how they're sharing it, um, perhaps just like the, you know, uh, intention as well of how things are being shared. I know that this is a very generic, broad question, but I'm curious about your thoughts. I totally agree with you. I think as we're seeing female filmmakers come out more and more since uh, the Me Too movement as well, specifically, we are seeing a really great broad range of diversity in filmmakers and diverse filmmakers. And that's really important because uh, women filmmakers have, uh, there's so many stories that can be told, diverse stories. I have several friends that are working on films that told me, you know, I 10 years ago, I never would have gotten this opportunity to make this film. And a lot of the films are specifically told from a female viewpoint. And so, you know, we have many years of films about women, but they were told from a male viewpoint. They were told by male directors and male filmmakers. Now we have these stories coming out that are from a female perspective. And these films, a lot of them are incredibly inspirational. Uh, there's some very, you know, upsetting stories. There's obviously stories, you know, about women's trials and tribulations. But, you know, when we're looking at International Women's Day, we want to celebrate women. We want to celebrate the progress women have made. And that, to me, is what's important about this event. Uh, there's so okay. many things that women have done that are uh, so extraordinary. 
Yes. Yeah, for and sure. And, and when you taken... look at a film festival like this, you start wondering, okay, how does somebody watching, the people are coming to attend in any capacity, how can these films be used for empowerment and self-help, especially exactly. since so many of us need those moments where we need to think and see, I guess, maybe somebody walking the same path? Absolutely. And we've been doing this for 11 years. OFA has been running this festival for 11 years. And I have seen an incredible range and diversity of female produced films coming into the right. festival. And it's just incredible. I love it. Well, we often talk about, you know, people in dis people with disabilities uh, being represented on camera, off camera, on microphone, off microphone, you know, yeah. what, however they want to be representative or um, however they feel they want to take part in something in whatever yeah. part of the project. And I think that, you know, with this film festival, with this event, uh, there's a lot of that as well, right? Like just women everywhere in all aspects contributing to the stories. Absolutely. And if you look at, you know, the people that are coming to this festival, a lot of them are coming with their mothers. They're coming with their right. daughters. They're coming with their best friends and they're they're coming because it's kind of a camaraderie for women. Uh, but yeah. it's not just it's not an it, it's not it's an inclusive event. We have lots of men coming as well, men that support women. Um, our host, uh, we have a male uh, filmmaker, a male um, uh, Oakville News editor who's actually doing the interview as well with Deanne Whalen live. So this is a very inclusive event and we are very uh, thrilled to be able to do an event like this and actually have all of these people in our community and outside of our community come in for the evening to celebrate women in the arts and also to just have a great night out, you know, with your buddies, with yeah. your friends. It's That's, you know, a really important thing. And I don't think a lot of women, especially coming out of the pandemic, uh, have had the, the opportunity to do stuff like this with their friends, with their mothers or sisters. Mm. Uh, for, for years, you know, people are are coming back in droves to the theaters and to events. And I think they're really happy that we can um, we can do this again, you know, that we can yeah, be in the yeah. theater. We feel safer. Um, and and I'm I'm thrilled about it yeah. for sure. Well, so. I love what you said, Wendy. One of the coolest things I felt you said is we're getting films made, created by women as opposed yeah. to the films about women through men's voices in some capacity yep. or men's voices speaking for that to me is fantastic. Yep. And that's, uh, and it, it's the same thing with indigenous voices, right? With the collective yes. voice, Agreed. indigenous peoples are making their own films. They have their own voices. The representation is there. And, and that is really important to telling authentic stories. So we see the most authentic stories from this process uh, with people that are telling stories that are living that process, you get authenticity in a way that you don't, um, you know, with, yeah. with a film that's not coming from a voice that represents that story. Awesome. So important. Storytelling is, is um, front and center. So that's yeah. really, really appreciated that. Thank you so much, Wendy. It's nice catching up with oh. you and uh, always lovely to chat and know that this is going strong. Wonderful. Talk to you next and, year. Uh, yeah, we'll see you next year. Well, actually, we'll see you for the festival in June, I'm sure. Yes, yes exactly. Talk to you then. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. We were speaking about the uh, Oakville Festival of Film and Arts and their event coming up on March 4th. That's this Monday around International Women's Day. We were talking to Executive Director Wendy Donnan.
Beautiful, beautiful event. Uh, coming up next on our program, our HR business partner, Alicia Yardley, discusses the value of work placements. We're going to take a look at AMI's apprenticeship and internships right here at AMI. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Thanks for being with us here on Kelly and Ramya. You know, one of the most amazing things, Rum, is how many parallels we're able to draw. And, and, and sometimes I feel guilty when I say, oh, that's sort of what the disability community is going through when we talk about promoting, getting out there, when people are seemingly giving a little more of a listening ear now out of curiosity, wanting to learn about uh, disabled people maybe in film or mm -hmm. Indigenous people in film or, or women in film. There are all these things that, but folks, it's so true. They're, they're right now, we are reading more, looking more, and maybe the internet's doing that. Maybe we are open more, long as the the opener is short enough to grab our ear and make right. us say, oh, hold it, tell me more. I mean, we are a society, as we joke around all the time, but, but uh, look, I want a little small bite. I want a headline. Give me that, and I'm away I go. But when you start seeing, hey, man, I never realized it. That's interesting. Tell me more. And that's kind of the thing about these stories that are so, so beautiful. Well, the production alone is enough to grab you, right? The, what we heard, um, what they, what is it, 500 Days in the Wild, the feature mm. documentary film at, at this event. I mean, what is going on? Like, you're just so intrigued to find out what's happening, uh, who it is that decided to do this. And uh, the intrigue is incredible. And, you know, going back a bit further to our conversation with Brian earlier about uh, Push, season two of Push on AMI-TV, it's the same kind of thing where I think, like, you know, these shows are so well-produced now and the stories are being told in such incredibly um, interesting ways. You know, eye-capturing, ear-capturing, whatever it is, just ways that make you really think, like, I, I could sit with this immediately right yeah. and then the second part of it is the accessibility so if it's accessible to us when we want to go watch this uh and we can just grab it when we can it makes it even better even easier yeah yeah and i think what brian also said giving paying homage to the production companies everybody involved on that level and telling the stories is just a, a total testament to what grabs us i think we used to think oh well it's canadian going to be low production values oh it's a story from the indigenous disabled or or women's communities probably going to somebody cheaped out on it and now we're saying no man there's some real powerful stuff that is on par with anything else uh one note too by the way that was handed to me folks push is not available at ami plus you'll have to go to cbc gem to uh, to view season one season two will be available ami plus but season one if you want to catch up please go over to cbc gem it is that time, because once a month we sit down with HR's, uh, AMI's HR business partner, uh, Alicia Yardley, to talk everything employment. Happy to be Alicia, here. Alicia, hello and welcome. Glad to have you back, of course, with us. Today we're going to talk about AMI's work placement programs out there. So when we say that, what's it referred to and why do we have one? So... 
The Work Placement Program is for persons with disabilities to get experience in a content creation company. So in 2016, uh, we began by hiring interns uh, who have lived experience with a disability to gain a certain amount of hours to graduate from their course. Um, and through that, we kept having the same question um, with people, you know, when we would go to events and, and um, we would be talking to people in the community, they would say, well, I'm interested, but I'm not in school. Like, what, what can I do? Um, and there was such a demand that uh, we, we decided to put together an apprenticeship program, which was launched in 2019. Um, so we launched that in March. So when we talk about the work placement programs, uh, they are comprised of the internship or the apprenticeship. Um, the internship is for persons with a disability who are in school and need a certain amount of hours to graduate, as I mentioned. And the apprenticeship is for people who are, have an interest in content creation. Um, and then they would, um, you know, figure out where they would like to do that within our company. It's a really, really great, I guess, co-op experience, right? Like something where you're in person, in the field, and doing what it takes to understand exactly what a particular job or role or understanding of an industry exactly is. So what's the difference then, Alicia, between an internship and an apprenticeship? Yeah, so uh, the difference being an intern may need a certain amount of hours. Um, it could be anywhere from you know, a hundred hours to 200 hours mm -hmm. and they do that. Um, and there is a signed agreement usually with the institution through, um, there's an agreement between AMI and the institution. Um, we have those available in each and every department, including HR. Um, the apprenticeship program is, as I mentioned, for people who are interested in gaining that work experience and uh, they are not in school, but um, they, they want to learn anyway. Um, there is no agreement with the school involved, obviously. Um, the apprenticeships are specifically for programming and production. So our content development team, our programming team, um, and our live production, um, that is where the apprentices are most likely to go or audio. And internships, um, on the other hand, can be wherever? For yes, AMI? any okay. department. So yeah. like, yeah. you know, an HR intern, a finance intern, depending on, you know, obviously your area of study. So did that change, Alicia? Did, did we, before, is this kind of one of the areas where we said, you know what, we need to kind of zero in on the apprenticeship and maybe it'd be more about content creation and that kind of thing? Because I know we do a lot of talking about different things such as pitches and things like that, but I also see the opening and, and understand that, you know, if you're somebody's moving into finance, likely that that educational piece it has, has to kind of be involved, has to, has to be there. Absolutely. Um, with the apprenticeship program, it, we started out actually, we, we knew we only wanted to do it in programming and production. Um, it was one of my first projects when I joined the organization. Um, and, and we at first, we were just having apprentices with our old bureau teams. 
And right. so they were just located throughout the country. Um, but we've actually grown the apprenticeship to include, uh, you know, again, content development. But we're also, you know, if you want to get experience in our live control room, uh, live TV production, see the legality of how a show gets to air. Like, what are the agreements that are signed? How does a pitch work? Um, we also have stuff with um, our audio department. Um, and if you're interested in doing a podcast, we have a podcast coordinator who um, will help you with creating your own podcast and telling your story, or if you have a, a really interesting, compelling story to tell. Um, so that's really how we've grown over the last few years. We've had some amazing talent come through the organization, some of whom have stayed on as a full-time staff some of whom we've, you know, called upon for like as community reporters. So it, we have had some really great people that have uh, come through this program. And I've always been so pleasantly surprised. Mm. Well, I know I was a person who being, of course, here for almost as long as the place has been around, <clears throat> a little exaggeration there, but <laughs> long enough to hear all the, what, what can I do there? Can I come volunteer there? Can I get involved? Can I actually do a placement from my college or university course at AMI? Uh, 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 I, I, I don't know. And nowadays it's, yep. Pardon, I didn't hear you. Could you say it louder, Kelly, as if I'm ever <laughs> quiet? Um, I think it's just been absolutely wonderful, Alicia. And I, I've, like fedoras off to you guys because I think it's an amazingly crucial thing and wish when I was going into broadcast school, I could have come out and come there and, and maybe, you know, that it just would have been a wonderful experience. So for me, I want to know what does it look like that day for that apprentice or intern? That's a great question. Um, and the beauty of the work placement program is that it, it varies. There is no, um, like we have a standard onboarding or hiring process um, where, you know, we have recruitment and we will select the candidates and, um, you know, they will talk to their manager on day one. They have their equipment on day one. Um, but depending on the department you're in, it could look completely different. So, for example, um, you know, a content development apprenticeship, what they would do first, they speak to the content development specialist, and then they might be encouraged to read, um, you know, different pitches or, or watch AMI-TV to get a sense of what our programming is like. Um, in AMI-audio, they might be called to, you know, have you storyboarded your story um, if you were going to be an HR intern, um, it would be, okay, well, here is how AMI works. Here are the fundamentals of our HR department. Here are the different factors in HR. Um, and that, again, is what I love about it. So each department has a standardized uh, program, um, but the day can vary. Um, what I love most, though, is the fact that uh, you are actually doing work. Um, you know, when I was an intern, um, I, I was able to do work, but there was also a lot of, you know, can you get me coffee? Can you get me a fruit tray for this <laughs> meeting? And like, and, and, you know, I think it is extravagant. We, oh, it, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I had a great time at my placement, but um, it, it is important for us to allow people to get like their feet wet, um, you know, because if you're just kind of looking at it or shadowing somebody, you're not really going to pick it up and you're not picking up those skills. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I thought you were going to say there's a lot of shadowing, but then you went to fruit trays, and that was funny. Um, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> there, there, there is a lot of the hands-on, with my experience as well, just really quickly, when I was interning here at AMI, uh, put together a segment for the live show at that time, Kelly and Company, and also was doing a lot of just, like, uh, work ahead for... Christmas specials or other holiday specials and um, thinking up ideas for the special programming that we can have, you know, like extra hands on deck, we know is always appreciated anyways around the companies and around oh, yeah. any industry experience. But uh, really for us, that is meaningful work. That's what it translated for me into when I was going back and sharing feedback with my peers, right? And thinking like, yeah, I, I love this kind of experience because there is actual experience involved. So how long is a placement? Is there a, a general scope of how long you can be hired as an intern or as an apprentice? And how about payment? Everybody's asking about payment, of course. Great question. So uh, you can expect to be um, working six to eight weeks in an apprenticeship capacity. Um, as an intern, it's maybe eight to 10 weeks, depending on how many hours you need. Um, you know, if you need a higher amount of hours, it might be a longer uh, internship. Um, but our apprenticeships are those six to eight week placements. Um, we do pay uh, for our placements as well. We believe in compensating people fairly, and we want to make sure that they get, um, you know, rewarded for the job that they're doing because, um, you know, when um, I was going through HR, a lot of placements where you got an honorarium or you were doing it for free, which, you know, getting mm -hmm. started, you, you do what you have to do. But, you know, I did I think that was fair? Not necessarily. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's such a crucial thing. And you can always tell if you mention it. Oh, by the way, we have apprenticeship pro and it paid. What? You know, it, it's tremendous. <laughs> yeah. The reaction is like, what? And he goes, hey, man, someone throw some smelling salts. Wake that person up so we can tell them more. Um, time frame, sorry, just quickly, time frame as well, each for internships are kind of all over, right? Like you can, or is there a oh. set time frame for a uh, set time, isn't there? Six, eight weeks or something? Well, uh, in it, terms of when in the year you can become an intern oh. or an apprentice. Great question. Um, it, you know, I it would be typical for whenever an internship starts. So I know interns usually start at an organization January, May, September. Okay. Those are the big times. Um, and then an apprenticeship is available throughout the year. It really depends on the hiring manager and what they're looking for and what they need. Yeah, what they can... In that way, too, you've got to always have that coordination of timing and convenience, I know. But one of the questions we know people are sitting there asking about, who are hearing about this, especially the, for the first time, what's your selection process look like? Yeah, great question. Um, what we invite people to do is to email jobs at ami.ca. Um, I then speak with the person, try to find out what their interest is, um, look at their resume, if we think they would be a good candidate, then I will forward their resume on to an appropriate hiring manager. So, uh, for example, if it's a content development apprenticeship, I might forward the resume to the content development specialist and say, hey, here's this person. What do you think? Would you like to do an interview? Um, and then we have an interview, and that's, you know, because of the lovely world of, uh, you know, flex work, usually over teams. Um, and it would be with myself and the hiring manager. And then we would move on to references. Um, obviously for persons with disabilities, um, we encourage disclosure, um, 
you know, if there is anything I could do to accommodate or to make phone screen or the interview process easier, um, please let me know. I, you know, I want to help and, and make sure that it is, you know, a good phone screen and, and to assist with that interview as well to give accommodation there. Okay, great. Uh, equipment, anything along those lines for accommodations, of course, for people with disabilities, but also just what needs to be done during the job? Do we provide Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, we provide people with a laptop, um, you know, usually just a laptop and a headset, but it will depend on what you're doing. Um, the computer will be equipped with software that is um, significant or like applies to your particular placement. Um, and then you're, you're off. And then if you do need uh, assistive software, for example, a screen reader, um, you would let us know and, and then we would make sure that is part of your computer setup as well. What have been, Alicia, so as you've navigated through some of the things we've learned when it comes to this to make this program even better? I mean, what can you say? You got flexibility when it comes to the apprenticeship and the internships, you know, falling into sync as, as much as we can and making so much of the company open and available. Has there been any challenges? Um, that's a great question. It, I think the only challenge that I can think of is other departments may be swamped. Um, you know, I like I, I think we all have times when we're uh, busier or not as busy. And if somebody's saying, you know, for example, like I want to see what's happening in the control room and the control room is just like swamped, understaffed. Um, you might not get that opportunity, but um, you might be able to like a little while later. It, it, usually people do have the chance to put their fingers in different uh, departments and, and help out, but that awesome. would be the only problem. Awesome. Where do people go to get more information and to get involved? www.ami.ca forward slash careers or email jobs at ami.ca. I'm always happy to speak with people further. Alicia Hartley, thank you. Thank you. We talk uh, every month with Alicia, uh, our HR business partner here uh, from AMI, uh, talking to us about AMI work placement programs here at AMI. You can catch her every fourth Wednesday of the month about employment as we get into employment issues and so much more. Up next in two minutes, we wrap up the show and preview tomorrow's episode of Now with Dave Brown. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen, and hey, look, you're here with us, too, as we wrap up the program today on our Wednesday edition and get you ready for Thursday on our show. And Ramya, the gang over there at Now at Dave Brown, also kicked the day off on our live programs, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, available also via podcast. Like our show, people can subscribe to either podcast at their convenience. Yep, and their uh, show tomorrow, so that's the Thursday morning edition of Now with Dave Brown, includes Jenny Bovard talking about the weight of New Year's resolutions and how... We can all stand to embrace our guilty pleasures once in a while. That's what she says. So I'm really willing to hear more about that. Also, 
Access Tech Lives or Access Tech Lives Mark Aflalo is featuring the Mobile World Congress and that's currently underway. It's following he's also following that discussion up with an update on uh, Microsoft's recently announced AI principles. Oh, here we go. A um uh, a guideline, if you will, <laughs> and their commitment to the responsible development of artificial intelligence on a global scale. Also, entertainment critic Michael McNeely is reviewing All of Us Strangers, and this is a romantic fantasy about a screenwriter drawn back to his childhood home. Sounds very familiar. Very, very nice. Wow. And you, of course, folks can find their program on the air at 9 a.m. in the morning. Going to be so much fun on that program. Now, I want to talk, Ramya, on our closing moment today about something I, I just think is so great and wish could happen uh, even more often than, than it does. But this is a great example as these Long Island lacrosse players help athletes with physical disabilities and give back to the community, okay? This is an item uh, about lacrosse my heart worldwide Aww. long island long island uh, high schoolers um that really head up this organization six high schoolers that started from roslyn high school in new york most recently raised enough money to support a wheelchair support excuse me support a wheelchair lacrosse team the long island hammerheads now my friends, my co-founders, and I have been playing together since we were five-year-old, and lacrosse has done so much for us. So we wanted to give back to the community by connecting through organizations like the Hammerheads or people who have not been exposed to lacrosse uh, at a young age and show them the love of the sport. This is Zach Nagel speaking. He's a co-founder of the organization. Lacrosse My Heart raises money for athletes with disabilities, according to their website. We like that, Rum. I mean, wow, and high schoolers at that. So the nonprofit helps uh, athletes like Joseph Leninga. He's a member of the Hammerheads team, and he says that community support makes all the difference in the world as a community-based program. There's not a bunch of programs out there that help or opportunities for organizations like Zach to do that kind of fundraising. So, you know, uh, Valenka said it's huge. We wanted to help out and it kind of shows we play lacrosse, they play lacrosse. It's the common thread. I, I really love this, Ramya, as somebody who's been involved in blind sports and, you know, off and on through my life, especially younger years, but also watched even just tandem groups as we were talking earlier with Vic, a struggle to, to find that money, to find that donator. I mean, everybody wishes for that you know, a uh, philanthropist out there or somebody who says, yeah, I'll make you guys my charity and right. the buckets of money or support and whatever way, volunteers, so many different ways of supporting start to happen. And we do see this kind of help out there um, in the way of volunteers. We love when it's something where there's a little bit of money, but also just a connection of camaraderie like these of folks. Course. We play the same sport. Exactly. And we know, right, like we know how much it alleviates in terms of energy being put to fundraising or that anxiety and fear that a, an organization cannot run. And we know that the we don't even have to get into how important these organizations are for the communities, for people individually. So absolutely, it makes a difference. You betcha. Well, folks, we step aside for the evening. We'll be back tomorrow starting at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And on our Thursday roundtable, we're joined by Bean Gill. Nice. Co-star of AMI's groundbreaking program documentary, 
docu-series, as we call it, um, Push. We'll get into that conversation where we're on the roundtable starting uh, in the second hour of the show, Rum. We also got audio to entertainment and tech contributor Mike Fair featuring Unmade Movies, a collection of audio adaptation of Unmade Movies. We're waving at you. Have a good night, folks. Fedora's off to you. Well, hi there. Senior producer Matt Agnew here. As some of you may have heard on the air, I am recently returned from my pat leave. It was a really incredible time to spend with my daughter, watching her grow and hit all these milestones and just develop a really strong bond with her. During my pat leave, one of my favorite things to do with her was to make art. It was really cool to show her and to play with all the different ways that you could make art. We did painting with stippled dots and straw-blown splatters and broad strokes with brushes. We used stamps and stickers, crayons, paint sticks, markers, water wow, which, by the way, if you haven't heard of water wow, it's a parent's dream. There's no mess involved whatsoever. You put a little bit of water in this, like, paintbrush pen, and you brush it on, and the colors just appear like magic. It's very cool. One of my favorite pieces of art that we made together was a nature poster. We went out for a hike one day, and we brought a bucket, and she collected all kinds of things that caught her eye in the woods. We collected pine cones and sticks and different types of leaves that had fallen on the ground, and we spent some time looking them up afterwards to find out what they were all called. Um, and we used hot glue to glue them all to a poster board, and we hung it up on the wall, and we could kind of see sort of a snapshot of our neighborhood's natural environment from season to season. Before I go, I want to share a description of one of my favorite photos of my daughter's kitchen playroom. So here it goes. A foam alphabet mat lies in the center of a small room. There are kids' toys of all kinds, puzzles, action figures, dolls, and stuffed animals, all neatly organized in bins on a shelf that spans the entire back wall. A big comfy couch sits against one wall looking over the window, and over it the entire wall is covered in children's art, each piece stuck up with green painter's tape. The art sizes from small postcards and printer-sized colored construction paper to large paintings and banners cut from an industrial craft paper roll. All the seasons and many holidays are represented in crayon, marker, and paint, as well as familiar faces and all of a little girl's favorite animals. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.